and welcome to another edition of The More the Merrier. This is Donna G. I may match music to an interview on my show, and on those rare occasions, I will do a theme. But in putting the show together, random factors resulted in me having a theme of displacement, culture, and arts. My second guest during this hour is Suvendrini Lina, a neurologist and the author of The Enchanted Loom, a play about the effects of the Sri Lankan Civil War that has been described by the late John Kaplan as a work that connects memory, fear, grief, and physiology. Suvendrini will be joining me to discuss her latest work called Rubble, presented by Aluna Theatre and Theatre Pasmarai. She will also be sharing with me her passion for theater. In Rubble, a mother and her family in Gaza receive a courtesy call. You have 58 seconds to leave your home before an explosion. Run. The play has been described as a dramatic reimagining of the poetry of the Palestinian poet Mahmoud Darwish and Lina Kalaf Tufaha. It runs February 25th to March 18th. My first guest Soprano Denise Williams and I will be sharing details about an event happening on March the 4th called Roots and Intersections, Uniting African, Jewish, and Muslim Cultures Through Music. Besides being a soprano with 30-plus years of international stage performance, Denise is an educator, the founder and artistic director of No Strings Theatre. Her Walk Together Children CD is a reflection of her concert series, which explores the music of the African and Jewish diaspora. Here is my interview with Denise, where we discuss the addition of Muslim music to her repertoire and her collaboration with the Yubilate singers on this event, happening March 4th, 7.30 p.m. at Christchurch Deer Park, 1570 Young Street. Denise, I'm used to your Walk Together Children program being African and Jewish, but is this the first time that you will be including Muslim music? And can you tell us more about working with the Yubilate singers? Yes, that's right. Thank you, Donna. Thank you so much for this great opportunity to speak with you and to speak on this concert and promote it and, and everything like that. It's always wonderful to, to be here. So um, you are correct. The, the concert is uh, a Walk Together Children iteration. The Walk Together Children is my, um, my title. This particular one in collaboration, complete collaboration with the Yuvalati singers directed by Isabel Bernaus is called Roots and Intersections. So it's Roots and Intersections and um, it's it comes upon that um, for some time now I've been um, exploring and I actually did it as a master's capstone as well, just exploring some of the ways that our cultures can intersect in this pluralistic this 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 multicultural mosaic that Toronto, Ontario, and Canada are becoming more and more and more and more of. We actually the most multicultural city in the world, Toronto, if you really think about it. And it's very difficult um, not to kind of know thy neighbor and know people. And not only that we are 
the same in many, many ways, because we're here in Toronto, we're professional musicians and we, but we also borrow each other's musical traditions. And um, we, we borrow, we borrowed them for a hell of a long time. Um, and sometimes we don't even recognize how much we borrowed. But in this particular intersection is African, Jewish and Muslim diasporas. My interest here is yes, there's roots, there's also intersectionality, and it's also intersectionality, I believe, of cultures who have shared a commonality of being forcible, forcible migrants, forcible migrants from their countries into this sort of accepting country and land from just well, we do know about the slave trade, so that's a forcible migration. The World War II forcible migration with Jewish migrants and and Muslim. This is some other um, ways that these cultures have been forcibly migrants. So they're called diasporic because you can find these cultures um, and various what we call offshoots of these cultures in various parts of the world. But that's what we're we're up to for Saturday, March the fourth. Yes, and I'm familiar with your with your work. Um, you've done a CD, Walk Together Children, a collection of Black and Jewish music. You've had concerts before um, with um, sort of the African and the Jewish in collaboration. You've explored mm-hmm. the roots. You've done talks about it. But the Muslim culture is that a more recent thing, or is that something I just wasn't aware of? That is definitely more recent. That is more recent. The origins of the Black and Jewish, as I've been working with a colleague um, of mine, Graham Goldhammer, a pianist, and we've been working since the 90s in our classical and art songs and everything. Graham has been at the Conservatory of Music and uh, University of Toronto. And um, we got together during the um, dialogues on showboat and the issues that were going on between uh, Black and, and Jewish diaspora in Toronto. And we thought that we would take the approach to figure out, hmm, we're kind of working together and there were civil rights movement. We're not saying that the relationships are not troubled at all, but we're trying to look at how we can be have more understanding and more collaboration in some of these relationships that can be strengthened by each other. Um, and 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 I just remembered learning Walk Together Children in the Toronto Jewish Folk Choir that I was singing as a support singer at the time. I did not know that spiritual. So I started singing Walk Together Children and African Freedom Songs in the Toronto Jewish Folk Choir. And I thought, what's going on here? And then I thought, okay, I know what's going on here. We're trying to gain our freedom. We're trying to flee from the oppression and the captivity. So what happened in the Muslim, the situation is that, and um, you just have to pardon me, sometimes names are, are just easy, not easy to come by, but a composer, Toronto composer, and I do believe it was David Warwick, had composed a, um, an oratorio, and um, the name of the oratorio is escaping me right now, but this oratorio was um, an intersection of, and it was, I think it was called, it had to do with Abraham, Abraham. So it was an intersection of the Abrahamic tribe before the split, Christianity, uh, Jewish, Judaism, and Muslim. 
Um, so this was in a world at uh, the time of parts in the Bible where things were more, like say, not equal, but more kind of uh, collaborative and more, they believe similar things. And after that oratorio, throughout that oratorio, there were uh, people in the audience, of course, African, uh, African, Jewish and Muslim diasporas. And I met Salima Dahanani. And we had a quick, and Linda Litwak was there as well. So Linda was there, Salima was there, and it was Denise. And uh, I guess Linda must have known Salima or Salima must have come up, come up, came up to us and said, isn't this cool? So we're sitting there, we're standing there, the three of us, isn't this really cool? And uh, we invited Salima in a just dialogue to, to discuss um, this particular type of intersectionality. Um, so that's how that started. And we started to include that. And in my capstone, um, well, that was for the Walk Together Children concert in 2018. And my capstone, it was based on a dialogue interviewing and retelling the stories of some of these particular diasporas and how they're doing as professional musicians in Toronto. How are they doing? Are they, do they need to deal with things like stereotyping? Do they need to deal with marginalization? Do they need to deal with things, um, appropriation and, and things like that there? So this was my dialogue and it's sort of put these cultures together in a concert. And um, I had also met uh, Babaka Nasseri in my um, master's program, who's Persian and uh, Walid was one of the ones I interviewed and how, how was I doing? He's a Sudanese African. So this, I found this was an important story to add to this simply because at the time and continuing now, these are still cultures that many places of the world, states, even here that are um, experiencing hate crimes, experiencing marginalization, experiencing a lot of, um, yeah, still oppressive and uh, racialized racialism. Um, it kind of opened my world to thinking, oh, we, we you know, we, we're, we're cool, or it's just us, the Afrocentric, the, the uh, diaspora. And then it opened my world to think, hmm, not only did our music intersect, from way, way back when, um, uh, way back when, but our themes have intersected, our uh, musical modes have intersected, and even now in our contemporary world, some of our political issues are are still very common. So that's how that that kind of came together. And lo and behold, somebody like Walid, who's Muslim, and 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 I actually also met, uh, interviewed somebody else who was from India. And I just assumed that I would be dealing with a Muslim um, interview. And then I realized I was dealing with an African interview, an African diaspora, because I had, I had put him in the place of the Muslim diaspora. And as I got to the interview, he says, well, no, I'm of the African diaspora. So, okay. And, you know, Walid, Walid has kinky, kinky hair, he's Muslim. And this other person had straight hair, looked, you know, um, Indian, and he was some um, African, African diaspora. So this is a lot of intermixing and interracialism, as we can see. I also found that in my studies that most of us 
especially going as far back as you can, Sam Dalko, who is Ghanaian. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have an interesting story here about the, the roots, the Ghanaian person and where he, what he was doing. And he started talking to me about his, him learning back in when he was a child, the foxtrot, the foxtrot and, and various uh, Western things. And I also um, interviewed a, a Caribbean person and said, yes, the rhyme of the ancient mariner he could recite to me. And not that I didn't know this, I thought it was limited to me, but I realized that the the um, colonialism or the intersectionality and for various reasons happened hundreds of years ago. We're not here only now. And um, we, it's very difficult to find the roots actually of these dias diasporic cultures. They are there, we, they're still there. And they might say that they're being more unveiled and appreciated now, but there is a um, lot of intersectionality. I hope that kind of helps go through the beginnings of our talk. <laughs> so you've mentioned some people by first name and Walid Abdulhamid I'm familiar with um, over the years, his music, but uh, mention the others and their last names as well um, that are featured in the concert. Sure. So as you mentioned, Walid Abdulhamid. So Daniel Barnes is of the Jewish uh, background. He will be the, the, the drummer, the person on drums and uh, Dumbek and various percussion instruments. And we, he's actually on that CD. So I've known him for a number of years. Sam Donko is the Ghanaian person and he'd be playing the djembe and various other percussion instruments. And um, he has been with me for many, many iterations of Walk Together Children. We probably met um, in 2008-ish or somewhere in that area, maybe before. Bram Goldhammer, um, uh, Toronto-born Jewish background, is the coach that I worked with at the conservatory and we were doing the, the Schubert's and the Western music, but recognizing that um, some elements of our background didn't put us in the, in the mainstream for various, various reasons, even though we had a complete training. So Bram, Bram Goldhammer is the person that I started Black and Jewish black and jewish concert in 1995 with um with him that's how it all started um then we have ben mcdonald uh, my son he's understood me since i guess he came out of the womb and he is be playing uh, saxophone tenor saxophone and reed instruments the clarinet and the flute um and what can i say ben of course afrocentric diaspora he's born here um and he is you wouldn't know if you didn't see if you saw he and I together you wouldn't know that we were related because Ben many people don't even really understand really realize that he's black um he's a by both my children are biracial and he was the fairer one with curly hair and um he could be a lot of different races let's put it that way it's <laughs> a lot of people in the city that could pass for many different cultures That's right many different cultures that <laughs> yeah so, so it's interesting he identifies himself as black that's his his way of of expressing himself and everything like that so he's um really appreciates these kind of cultural dialogues and there's uh, Babak Nasuri, who I met um, at the University of Waterloo and is doing, we're both doing the masters at the same time. And, and you know, we were, there were 
two, how many other people of color? There's one other person of color, maybe it's just three of us. And then it's an Asian, uh, so they might say they're also of color. But Babak sort of looked and thought, hmm, and we were both from Toronto, so we were able to share a ride. But um, he found very interesting about what I did and who I was. And we, before long, started collaborating together. He actually wrote a Persian uh, composition of him of his own for me. And then there's Daryl Joseph Denny. So he's taking the place of Nina Shapilsky. And he is of, um, he's from Caribbean. Well, he's born here, but Caribbean, so African background. And he's in the concert. He's playing keys because we have one piece in our intersections and in our travel, we couldn't help but move into the jazz world. And um, so Bram Goldhammer is a classical pianist and Daryl is the the jazz pianist. Um, we're going to be presenting a work by Joe Seeley. And um, so he's just sort of along for the first time, but I've known him for a few years now in my studio teaching theory. I'm so sorry, I did forget there is going to be a dancer where that's yet to be to be confirmed. I mean, to be announced the person's name, but there will be a dancer in this as well. The Ubalate Singers? Yes, so the Ubalate Singers is an amateur uh, community choir. Um, they've been going for quite a number of years, I think over 35 years. Um, I've known this, this group for some time, known of this group, but most recently, and it is now conducted by Isabel Bernhaus, I believe she's been the conductor for over 10 years. We met, or she learned about me, and um, the, one of the mandates of the Ubalate Singers is to bring aboard professional artists to uh, lead workshops in the style of music that they may be heading to do, or maybe vocals. So I've done a few vocal workshops for them and um, also styles on how to sing some of their Afrocentric material when they do it, whether it's a spiritual or or something more contemporary. So um, back in 2018, I was finding that there was something missing with my Walk Together Children concert. And I invited the Ubalate singers, as many who were interested, um, just kind of like on a volunteer basis, if they'd like to join uh, the concert. And a few of them did. And then about, uh, where are we now? We're in 2013. So back in 20, the end of 2021, Isabel Bernal said, you know, we're, the, the Ubalate singers is doing, a, is, is proposing some some adjustments, some reimagining in our programming. And what we'd like to do is to collaborate with various professional musicians and organizations and just see what happens. So we started to talk, we started to have this dialogue about there's just over a year ago and on the various programs that I did and what how they felt they could fit in and Walk Together Children was chosen as the, the one that made the most sense uh, their mandate is to uh, perform to, uh, Toronto's diverse uh, landscape of music and, and to do it with authenticity. And they always uh, do uh, hire musicians of the, the culture if they happen to be doing Latin American music, that's where they're, that's where they're going. And um, so we kind of an intersecting in that, that quest for authenticity, let's say, and the quest for letting people know more about our musics 
because this choir is 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 a white mainly white uh, uh, choir the members but they really um, enjoy and they learn so much and they really enjoy uh, learning about other music cultures and and sharing I guess some of the members of the choir from different uh, communities I guess um, who've migrated immigrated and they really love to share so I think this was just a great great opportunity and and then once we did get the understanding that we had the grant from the Ontario Arts Council that was my grant not the choir's grant but along with what the choir brings to the concert and along with this particular grant that I applied for um, it um, and I applied for it under the auspice that I would be working with professional musicians that I'd really want to bring my team of professional musicians on board. And so I got the grant to bring this team of professional musicians on board while the Ubalati singers managed uh, the other parts, you know, administrative parts of the concert. So it's an amazing unity and an amazing opportunity for this choir and the community um, all together is to learn so much. And this is happening March, Saturday, March the 4th, 2023. This year, you mentioned 2013 earlier. So just wanted to let people know it's 2023 <laughs> at March 4th at um, Christchurch Deer Park at 1570 Young Street. You mentioned um, in the last few minutes that we have, you mentioned, you know, music by Joe Seeley. Joe so there's, you know, the jazz and um, we're going to have some Caribbean for the Jewish music, is it is it Yiddish that we're going to be hearing and, and vocally, or is it um, what form of Jewish music we'll be be hearing? Okay, well, isn't that an interesting question? Like we do know that this is one of the first diasporic cultures ever, right? Because they're like already displaced from their land a long time ago and all over the place. So there is Yiddish. There is Ladino, so Sephardic Jewish, Spain, mm -hmm. um, and there is Hebrew. So there's a combination from each root. Um, I, I have one mashup between Yamlid, which is a Yiddish song, and mother. sometimes I feel like a motherless child, uh, which is, as you know, an African-American folk song. And I mash them up because they're both talking about, um, I've left my or I, I'm a little bit displaced. I feel like a little bit, you know, I've left my homeland kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the faith about, even though I've left my homeland, wherever I'm going to, I have faith that um, I'm going to be okay, or at least you'll let my loved ones know that I'm going to be fine. That's the yam lead. There's, um, as you say, as I said, um, that we start with the roots of the diaspora, Jewish or whatever, and an offshoot of the Jewish is um, involved in um, particularly um, one offshoot is Cyril Irvin Glick, who is, uh, he's not alive now, but he was a Toronto musician, Jewish heritage. And um, he created a song, he posed a song based on Solomon's Song of Songs, and one of them, one of the pieces is called I'm Dark But Lovely. When I was singing it back in the 90s and working and just sort of talking with Glick about it, I said, is it okay if I sing I am dark and lovely? And uh, he said, sure, no problem. So that's what we, uh, <laughs> that. 
I mean, I understand it's scripture, but you know, I've, I've adjusted the scripture um, and there's a different meaning of course in the scripture, but I've adjusted it and that is uh, an art song. So you're getting from the roots into the, the art song style. Um, same with the Afrocentric material, we have the, some Caribbean will be um, Cuban actually, the Cuban and then um, the African-American and moving into an art song an African-American art song by Margaret Bonds, and the poet is Langston Hughes, The Negro Speaks of Rivers. It's a great poem. It's a new one for me because I'm really um, moving more and more into um, uncovering more of these wonderful jewels of Afrocentric classical music. So back in the round of civil rights and the classically trained um, African-Americans were doing this. And this song is incredible. It's a wonderful art song. And it, it has, it's infused in it, um, the classics, sort of like, you know, uh, Dvorak kind of classics or Brahms, and also music theater and kind of Kern and everything is going in in the showboat era. Um, uh, Scott Joplin kind of ragtime in there and I even hear some blues it's all you don't hear them as separate entities but if you really stop and analyze the music it's kind of in there upon this amazing poetry by Langston Hughes so that's really that where that has come to too and in the Muslim with Walid's um we have some Sufi and with Walid's uh, incantation and chanting we have oh yes we've started with Alunde which is Afrocentric, so we're going right back to an African Swahili um, lullaby. So that's where we kind of we might start the concert that way, and then moving to the offshoot and the Sufi. Walid will be bringing um, some of those traditional um, chants, and the choir has some of their own as well. But where we go on in with that, we have a um, uh, a young Muslim uh, centric. Muslim, uh, what we call diaspora uh, composer, Ayan Muhammad. He's he's created um, some um, contemporary style works that infuse that background of the uh, Muslim background of the Sufi and various other styles into contemporary or into Westernized music. Um, there's so there you have it. With that, we have Hebrew. Um, and then we're bringing us to write, oh, Babak. So Babak is more from the Persian um, diaspora. And uh, he has composed some pieces. Uh, by the way, one is called The Scent of Noruz. Noruz is going to be happening on the 21st of, um, it's their spring, it's their new year. The Persian the new year, yeah. The Persian new year. So there is a piece that is celebrating that, which is hot off the press, hot off of uh, Babak's computer. And uh, because I can talk to him, he can text me and they can just, what's kind of cool is a lot of these Toronto composers, you can just kind of call and text. Uh, and the one I can't forget, I have to not forget him as soon as I talk about Babak. And then Babak has composed a glance through Hayam. So Omar Hayam, I had learned a little bit about Omar Hayam and his writings and his, his philosophy. And I will be singing um, something there, which involves some improvisation, by the way, in the in the key called a charda, a charda. It's a it's a Persian minor type of key. So you see all these things we're doing, but I cannot forget. I must not forget my dearest, dearest friend, 
Andrew Craig. So Andrew Craig from his, and he's actually going to be doing this oratorio really soon. I believe it's the 24th of March. Um, his, um, his oratorio, uh, that'll come to me. But the song from the oratorio, We Still Dare to Dream, it's called. We Still Dare to Dream. Imagine, eh? And um, it's called Shalom Salam. Interesting title. Well, interesting it is title. By a black composer. Right? Yeah, suits what you're doing too. Exactly. So, uh, Denise, where can people find more information about the, the March 4th concert? Oh, yes. So there are several ways. Yubilatesingers.ca. It's on their website. It's also on my website, denisewilliamssoprano.com, denisewilliamssoprano.com, or yubilatesingers.ca. Uh, we have social media handles as well, um, Denise Williams Soprano, Yubilate Singers, also Walk Together Children. So we have Facebook handles if you kind of dig us up there. Um, and hopefully you'll, it's an event, right? So it'll be, a, you should be able to get your tickets. It's a good idea to get the tickets in advance. Um, you know, not that there's, you know, probably be good seating, but it's just a good idea. And yeah. I should mention uh, Yubilate is j-u-b-i-l-a-t-e singers.ca i wanted to thank you and thank my ever loving and dear partner who uh of publicity who's been involved with this since its conception and i must say that it's due to linda litwack and her partner charlie sice that this has been able to have this ground they linda is of course um of the the jewish uh, heritage and i must say that i've got a lot of i've taken a lot of information and understanding even some jewish jokes from linda and <laughs> and i want to thank you and definitely thank you linda litwack publicity <laughs> thank you so much and linda we both love you she's an amazing person yes. uh thank you denise Oh, <laughs> 
If you're just tuning in to CIUT, this is Donna G. The show is The More the Merrier. My next guest and I will be discussing the play Rubble. She is Suvendrini Lina, and she is both a writer and a physician. Rubble will be running from February, March 25th to March 18th on stage at Theatre Passmerai's main space right here in Toronto. This is a piece that is a dramatic imagining of the celebrated poetry of Mahmoud Darwish and Lina Khalif Tufaha, and it features Lara Arabian, Pereya Harava, Yusuf Kadura, Sam Khalile, and Rula Said. Forgive me if I've mispronounced any of those names. It's directed by Beatrice Paisano. Here now is my interview with Suvendrini Lina. You're a fascinating person to me with in terms of the arts and the science. You're a neurologist, um, but you started university studying history, and now you're into theater as well. Did that come first in high school, or where did that come about? I did my undergraduate uh, degree at University of Toronto, and I was in, at Trinity College. And I, um, during that time, I... Uh, was involved in the dramatic society that was there and um, that was how I sort of discovered the wonders of live theater I directed two plays um, you know student plays but I my love of theater really uh, was born there during my yeah at U of T while you were studying history yeah exactly okay Mm -hmm. and then you moved into becoming a neurologist how did that transition happen well it's a bit of you know these stories usually are protracted, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I um, after graduating, I worked as a community legal worker in Parkdale for a couple of years before I decided that actually I wanted to study medicine. And so I had to take some science courses, write the MCAT. I did a master's degree in environmental health in New York, and then finally ended up in medical school um, several years later and and then studied neurology back again at U of T for my residency and I've stayed here to work um, as a staff. Proving that people you don't have to stay with one thing the road can lead you in many directions. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, this performance this perform is a performance piece or do I call it a play? How do I refer to rubble? Well, it's interesting that you should ask. Um, It is a play uh, with, you know, a cast, a script, um, but it is constructed both out of, you know, original writing as well as um, staging of poetry, um, which is sort of something that emerges from the writing and the way that poetry is uh, interwoven into the other parts of the text, but also in the way that the director approaches the work, um, because of course, poetry is, um, in this case, it's the poetry mostly of Mahmoud Darwish, the Palestinian uh, poet. And it's quite abstract in, in some of its aspects. And um, and therefore, you know, it's, it's being interpreted. It's being, images are being, it evokes images and those are being dramatized on the stage. And um, the actors interact with that in different ways. And it, and so it does actually look at the relationship between or the differences between poetry and theater as well. Now you're credited as being the writer. Tell me what that means for a, a constructed piece like this. Right. So, I, I mean, it's, it's, I'm like the playwright in the conventional sense. Um, so I, when I started writing this piece, I actually contacted 
uh, the two poets whose work I um, was so interested in. One of the, one is Lena Kalaf Tufaha. She's an um, American Palestinian poet, and the other, uh, the translator of Darwish into English, is Fadi Judah, also a poet himself, but a Palestinian physician also who lives in Texas. And so um, I just entered into a conversation with them about whether they would be interested in me and willing to let me use their poet their poetic work in the in in a script. Um, and they they said yes, which was delightful. Um, and what you see in the, you know, at the beginning of Rebel, one of the first scenes is a dramatization of Lina Kolaf Tefaha's poem called Run, Running Orders. Um, so it's, it, that poem describes in part a family whose home is about to be bombed and uh, they receive a warning call and then they react. And, and so that's dramatized in the initial scene of the play. And the rest of it sort of travels back and forward in time, but it reflects on life under siege, both in an abstract and a concrete way, um, using the Darwish poetry that, that sort of punctuates scenes of the family's life and history. And the poetry also sometimes is spoken by the actors in, in their conversation, but that is flagged because uh, when it, that happens, you're aware that um, it's a translation of an Arabic text. And so... Um, the Arabic is projected to flag that this is actually Darwish's poetry being used. So there are, it's, it's interesting because of course there's issues of a th authorship, right? Um, and so we've tried to be careful that when poetry is spoken, that's directly the Darwish translations, you, the, act, the audience knows this because it, they'll, see a they'll see a text, the Arabic text, and they'll hear obviously the English translation. Um, and when Lena, and Lena, Lena's poem is dramatized at the beginning, but it's also read in its entirety later on. I was very careful about, you know, what is interpretation, what is, um, you know, my imagination as a playwright and what is actually the, the, the original text. So what is it that sparked the imagination in you in wanting to write this piece? So there are a lot of different factors, I think, playing into that. I think one part, obviously, is that when I was um, studying medicine, I did travel to Gaza, and this was in 2002, um, during another siege. And um, I worked with some of the Palestinian physicians there um, and sort of had a sense, you know, a very real sense of what it was like in their hospitals and how and the, the human impact of that conflict. And, um, and also, um, you know, was living with a family, a Palestinian family for, for that period, which is about two to three weeks. And um, so had a sense of what daily life was like. And when the, in 2014, when I started writing this play, it was a, um, the, um, there was a, you know, a, a protracted course of, over the course of the summer, another siege of Gaza and, um, those images of what was happening um, really evoked my experience of 2002. And so I, I felt like I needed to write about it. And when I read Lena's poem, I kind of saw this family that I had stayed with and what it might be like for them. And I wanted to share that, I think, with audiences and other people. Uh, I invite them to think about it. Um, but I also you know, have a history of really having read and loved a lot of these Palestinian poets who have reflected on this stuff a lot um, and wanted to also offer that to the audience. 
how did you gain this love of Palestinian writers? Um, I think there's a, there's a, you know, there's a lot of, again, a lot of different reasons, but I think for me coming from Sri Lanka um, and being uh, coming from a family that was displaced through civilian con- through conflict and also a conflict where the, you know, the Sinhalese and the Tamils are, are somehow like also, you know, brother and sister um, in the way that I see that, you know, in, in um, this part of the world, um, Israelis and Palestinians, one could see that relationship as well. And I think, and that's something that Darwish represents in his writing as well. And, and so I think that, you know, what they write about, what he writes about and what the many other Palestinian poets write about resonates for me in terms of that shared um, aspects of shared history. Of course, every struggle is different and unique, right? Um, but uh, I also think that there's so many universal themes about exile, about identity, about, you know, love, about simple things like the sunset or what does it mean? What does a bridge mean? The way that poets deal with these things that are so evocative in, in Darwish's work and also Lena's. And so, uh, yeah, I think those things speak to me. And I think it's a it's um, a body of work that's not well known because most people don't read poetry in translation as much here. People um, don't have the experience of getting to hear poetry as much as they should read aloud, you know, or presented. And that that's where it really comes to life for me. Can you introduce the audience um, to Mahmoud Darwish? I think that at the best way I would, one thing I'd like to say is that in, in a way, when I created this play, I don't mean to represent him so much as, as, as a poet, as the po- as poetry and poets in a more general sense but of course his work is an is a central inspiration and um he you know many people consider him to be the Palestinian national poet um but his his work is loved throughout the the Arab world and anybody who really engages with contemporary poetry 20 the poetry of the 20th century um and reads poetry in translation will know of him I think that's probably what I what I want to say about it most. It's just it's it's such a moving body of work. It's a very powerful body of work, and he's engaged with all the important questions that twentieth century poets deal with, around identity, around nationality, around um, migration. Uh, he he engages with history um, in an extraordinary manner, and and what's fiction and what's fact and uh, and conflict and why conflict happens. It's, it's so many of our, our important themes and so much also that's that's just about the day-to-day and about, you know, drinking a cup of coffee or falling in love. All of those things are there as well. Do you remember how you discovered him? Uh, yeah, I, I actually was introduced to him uh, when I was studying history. I, I actually went to Cairo um, in my second year of university and spent about a, six weeks learning Arabic myself at the American University in Cairo and you know I met Egyptians students there and one of them um, introduced me to Darwish's poetry at that time and it was just sort of a revelation to me uh, when I when I began to to read and listen to him. And did you read and listen in Arabic or the translated translations? Yeah so I I mean I I would listen in Arabic and pick up pieces or fragments but I, I have never been fluent enough in Arabic to really appreciate him in his own tongue and so I've always been dependent on really good translations and I, I was so lucky to find Fadi's translation which again also is as a work in its own right really resonates with me 
And what about Lina Kalaf Dufaha? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Lina's poem, I read actually first on the internet, as many people did. I don't know if, um, if you follow, um, you know, the politics of, of this region, you, you'll know that 2014 was a particularly brutal time. Um, and she wrote this poem, Writing Orders, uh, in response to that, in the middle of that conflict. And the poem itself went viral um, and traveled across the world in different ways. Um, people would sort of pick it up and read it. It was translated into 20 or 30 different languages. And there's a whole, you know, you can look on YouTube and look at this poem and, and see different people reading it um, as a form of expressing solidarity with what families living in Gaza were, were going through. Um, and I think what's beautiful about this poem is it just, it really conveys, you know, the everydayness of everyday life there, which makes um, the situation relatable to people who are not there. And that's something that is so important. Um, and Alina and I, over the years, in a way, I would say we've, we've become friends. And um, I just see her as a fellow traveler, in a sense, somebody who's trying through their writing to reflect on contemporary events and shift people's perspectives and sort of open up new avenues for conversation around things that are difficult. This is being presented by Aluna Theatre and Theatre Pass Marai. Mm-hmm. So what is your role um, in between these two um, companies? Well, I mean, they um, the way it works generally in Canadian sort of independent theatre settings is, you know, um, Sometimes a play will be written in, or you'll start writing a play in a in a playwright's unit. So this play, I was in a unit at Cahoots Theatre um, in 2014, I guess, 2015, when I started to write it. And that was when Marjorie Chan first saw the script and, and expressed an interest in it. Um, and then, um, you know, I kept working on it. Uh, I got some development money from Nightwood Theatre and also was invited to um, like to support the writing. And then I was invited to um, a playwright's um, re- um, residence in Grossmorn that's run by um, Playwrights in Montreal, which is a wonderful sort of development incubator of Canadian work. Um, so I went to this retreat, you know, there were playwrights from all over the country. I had seven days to really work deeply on it. Uh, with a um, dramaturge named Emma Tibaldo, who's amazing. Um, and so the work really moved ahead. And then I was able to present it back to um, Marjorie. And she thought, well, we need some partners to make this work and reached out to Aluna um, because they have a track record of sort of very political work, um, you know, um, and an and ability to understand and work with really abstract text as well. So I think, and just a, a beautiful company. So I think it's been a great collaboration for me because I feel like um, the work has a real home with these two companies. And it's it's being presented at, at Theatre Pass Marai. Were you involved with any of the casting or any of the design, anything of that? Or are you, just, are you the writer and you've passed it on to uh, the other talents involved? Well, there's a fine line, I think, there, right? Because um, th- with theater, uh, you write a script and then, you know, some writers are very, very involved, especially in a first production um, in terms of design and casting. 
Uh, I am a physician in my training, right? So as although I'm a writer, um, and I this is the third play that I've had written that I've written that's been produced, and I I feel like yeah, I'm a playwright, but I'm not trained in theater in some of the ways that many other theater artists are, and so I. I'm careful about how I sort of intervene in, in these processes. I, I really enjoy the work and the vision that others bring. And, and I think for me, that's why one of the reasons why I love theatrical creation, it's because it is very collaborative. So, um, you know, even if, even the cast will have a very strong impact on how um, things eventually um, are presented and, un, and interpreted in a very collaborative room. And Bea Pisano, if you know her, she she runs a very collaborative room where um, everybody has a voice and, and she's tremendously good at, at taking that, the best of all of that and synthesizing it into a, um, a solid and unique vision, which would be her directorial vision. I think, you know, it's the best of both worlds in some ways. So I sort of step back um, after the text is solid, it, that I feel it's solid, is what I've done here. Have you seen any of the rehearsals? Yes, yes, of course. I've been invited to attend rehearsals, and um, I just it's it's always a magic for me to um, to see that translation from page to actors embodying these words. It's, it's it really feels miraculous, and the cast is fantastic. I'm really really uh, happy about them. Um, I. Can just imagine when you walk into rehearsals and see your your lines being expressed and the, and the design yeah. and how they interpret it must be so mm -hmm. exciting it is it's it's really like it's such a great gift that you get from the actors and the company and the designers that they invest so much significance in in the in the work and are willing to throw so much of themselves into it and transform it in that way you are a physician mm -hmm. so do you, do you often get reactions like mine when um, people go, oh, you're a doctor and a writer? Because I know in other countries, people, their love of poetry is mixed with often politics and other things, but not so much here in Canada that I've noticed. I suppose you make a really good point, actually. I hadn't really stopped to think about it, that it's different here than it is in some other places, right? Um it's funny, I think maybe because I don't know, I don't know what explains it, but it's a really interesting observation you just made. I do get this reaction that it's a, a strange juxtaposition. I mean, on, on the other hand, I, I work with a number of other physicians who are, you know, either writers or artists or, I mean, different kinds of writers, actors, and we have, um, you know, a kind of group of people that are really interested in medicine and the humanities and how um, humanities education and just a love of the arts can um, enrich medical learning and actually also is so important to medical practice. Um, so we, I'm not alone in this sort of straddling two roles, especially not in the U of T environment. Um, so I, I feel like, um, you know, although it's unusual, it's not maybe as unusual as people think. I think it's because we don't hear about it often then. I don't think doctors necessarily are so good at self-promoting. We, we like in what we do, we're always self-effacing, right? We, we sort of are in a room to, to, to hear a patient diagnose a problem and then come up with a solution and then execute that solution. Where is the self in that? Right. Mm -hmm. And so 
Um, and that's fine because because you don't really want to be in the emergency room learning who your doctor is at a, as a person. That's really not what it, that space is. No, for. not the right environment. Right. But but the consequence of that, I think, is that maybe you don't know who doctors really are. Right. Do you, like you people may have quite a stereotyped view of what it means to be a physician and physicians don't have a lot of practice, you know, expressing other aspects of their self. But it comes out amongst you that they write and then you have this other the secondary bond yeah and I mean I'll give you an example like I do teach seminars for um doctors and doctors in training that involve theater practice and so last semester we we dramatized um a, a theatrical version of Camus the Plague and we invited people from the U of T community to come and listen and uh it, the the room was full like the 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 there were people standing. It was mostly a medical audience and I had no trouble recruiting, you know, I, this was a collaboration between U of T and McMaster, but we had no trouble recruiting actors to, to do the work and from among our medical students. And next semester, there's a program that I'm working on with Tarragon where we're gonna be reading plays and writing and we have 21 medical trainees that have already signed up, we had to close the course and there were still people who wanted to get in. So there's a, there's a hunger for this and there's a, there's actually, you know, work and activity. It's just, I think, not, not well known that it happens. I think that's an exciting future for theater, you know, to have that, to have that blending. It's it's an interesting point, right? So I think, you know, in these periods where the arts are so much under attack in terms of funding and what the meaning and the value of it is, right? I think you can see this space that's being made in medicine as very positive, um, as a way of actually appreciating and seeing the, the value that an artistic lens brings to everything. But on the other hand, I don't like to see art instrumentalized and used to sort of um, meet other objectives. I think it's really, really important to preserve that space of art for its for its own sake, right? To keep the creativity unfettered. Can you speak more to that? Yeah, I mean, so so you can so so there's this you know there is this a trend of using you know theatrical tools and and the tools of visual art or poetry to um, to create empathy or help people communicate better or like how would you tell somebody a hard thing in a medical setting well how can theater and the communication skills of theater help you do that right um and that's one application for what people learn when they study theater that can help in medicine do you see what i'm saying but we can't say that that's about that they're in that act that we're really being artists i don't think there we're harnessing communication skills for a purpose that's so 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 you're you're kind of making something instrumental you're you're taking the artistic impulse and making it instrumental to some other function whereas i think it's very important when things are really free so you so if you're thinking about art as a form of self-expression then you don't want to be doing it for a particular reason you want to find it itself okay i understand uh, Suvandrini, thank you so much for joining me to talk about your role in uh, Rubble and writing it and, you know, sharing a bit about yourself as well. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thank you for the opportunity to speak with you and for your, for your interview. It was lovely to speak with you today. And that was my guest, Suvandrini Lina. Performances of Rubble run Tuesdays to Saturdays at 7.30 p.m., 
with Sunday matinees at 2 p.m. Tickets are pay what you can afford at three price points, $10, $30, and $60, and are available now online at passmurai.ca. That's P-A-S-S-E-M-U-R-A-I-L-L-E. And the play runs from February 25th to March 18th. As for me, you can find me at TMTM with Donna G on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or you can go to www.ciut.fm, click on the more the merrier and my information is there. Started the show with about 30 seconds or so of the track Salam Alei. Included that because Rula Saeed, who is part of Rubble, is one of the vocalists on that track. The group is Maze Maze and the CD is called Unleavened. You also heard a track by Denise Williams, Walk Together Children, that CD. And I played it because she made a reference to Yam Lead. And I thought you should hear the song. This is Donna G signing off with the remainder of Salam Alei. Well, as much as I can play before I need to fade it for the next show. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Salam Alei.